Good morning, church. Firstly, I want to say thank you to Gary for asking me to speak this morning. I was talking with Billy on Friday about speaking, and he was saying how it's so amazing that we've been given this opportunity to speak when not many churches would give us this opportunity. Normally, this isn't something that I'd feel comfortable doing. I've only ever spoken on the stage twice. Once was in 2009 when I gave a mission report, and the other one was a couple of months ago when I shared my testimony. But when Gary asked me to speak this week back in November, I'd just gone through a really cool devotional that excited and challenged me that I wanted to share. So I ask that you bear with me as we go through this passage this morning. The passage that I want to speak on today is Mark chapter 5, verse 24 to 43. If you'd like to turn there with me, I'll read through it briefly. Sorry, Mark 5, 21 to 43. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. When I first started looking at this passage, my topic was going to be on hope. Then a couple of weeks ago, John and McMillan covered that, and I was going to change my mind, but I thought about it and decided, hey, why not build on what he spoke about? But as I read this passage over and over, 
The word that stuck out to me was the word faith. That's what I want to look at today, the word faith. And this is a really cool story about how important faith is. I caught up with a few friends over the last few days to ask them what they thought the difference was between the words faith and hope. As Christians, we often talk about hope, but we don't often talk about faith and how it works alongside that hope. Thankfully, most of the answers I received from my friends were pretty much on par with each other in the dictionary. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, definition of faith is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. And the definition of hope is to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. Hebrews 11 verse 1 defines it like this, from the KJV, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want us to look at this passage and see the faith that both Jairus and the woman had and how we can learn from that. Now at this time in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is travelling back and forth over the Lake of Galilee. On one side is the Gerasenes, a Gentile shore, and on the other side is the Jewish side. At the end of Mark 4, they are crossing the lake and are hit by a storm on the way over to the Gerasenes when Jesus rebukes the storm and calms it. When they reach the other side, he heals the demon-possessed man, and from the result of how he does this, the people pretty much beg him to leave them. He crosses back over the lake with his disciples, and when he arrives on the shore, he is met by the multitudes, and it's at this time that we meet Jairus. Jairus is the leader of the local synagogue whose daughter is deathly ill. His title here tells us a little bit about him. As the leader of a synagogue, Jairus is a prominent member of the community. He's responsible for the synagogue itself, the security of the scrolls, the selection of the oversight of worship leaders, and the general administration of the synagogue. He would have been very well off in the position that he was in. We get to verse 22. And when he saw Jesus, he fell to his feet and pled fervently with him to come and heal his daughter. This is no small significance. Here is a man of authority who is approaching this young man with no official position to ask him to heal his daughter. If there were other leaders of the synagogue there, what would have they thought about this? This last time that Jesus was in the synagogue in Mark 3, the Pharisees and Herodians are plotting to kill him. And the next time he visits the synagogue, they'll take offense to him. This could almost be social suicide for Jairus. I don't have a daughter myself, but I can imagine that if I had a 12-year-old daughter on her deathbed and I heard about a man like Jesus doing the miracles that he'd been doing, especially at this time, I would have been desperate enough to at least try and get his help. Jairus had set aside his pride and approached the controversial young man to heal his daughter. Jairus didn't simply ask Jesus to help if he can, though but instead he expresses confidence that Jesus can restore his daughter's health if he will only lay his hands on her. Jairus went to Jesus in faith. So Jesus starts to head toward Jairus' house with him, and on the way there we meet the woman. She has suffered from 12 years of bleeding, and it says in verse 26 that she has suffered a great deal from many doctors. This tells us a little bit about the woman as well. Doctors back in those days were generally reserved for the wealthy, And she's most likely gone from being a well-off person herself to a woman not far off from being treated like a leper. Her bleeding renders her ritually unclean, isolating her from most human contact. Not only is she unclean, 
but anyone she touches renders them unclean also, according to Leviticus 15. Her condition would make it impossible for her to even find a job as a household servant, and ironically, would make her ineligible to attend Jairus' synagogue. This woman is pretty much as far from the other end of the spectrum from Jairus in most counts. In verse 24, it says, She heard about Jesus, so came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Jairus approached Jesus directly, face to face. But this woman here approached Jesus from behind, cloaked in the anonymity of the crowd. Verse 28 tells us that she believes that just touching Jesus' garment would make her well. Having avoided touching people for many years, it must have been a great effort for her to reach out and even just touch Jesus' cloak. Because she is unclean, her touch would render Jesus unclean. I can't imagine that she would be able to comprehend Jesus would welcome her touch, but she is so driven by a desperate need that has dominated her for 12 years. But there is more here than desperation. There is a faith as well. The woman has confidence that Jesus can and will heal her. Verse 29 shows that her faith was well-placed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. One of the commentaries I read explained it like this. In both cases, their circumstances were beyond their control. Both reached at a breaking point, both desperate for help beyond what this world could offer. Their circumstances crashing on top of them summoned something from within, something that no doubt surprised each, something that led them running towards another whom they believed had what they needed. Their circumstances summoned a faith that even they probably were previously unaware of. When Jesus came walking by, they came to him, trusting him for something everyone else was powerless to do. It goes on. That's the beginning of biblical faith. Simply looking at Jesus as one who can help and coming to Jesus for that help. But often it takes overwhelming circumstances before we're ready to come. The first step of biblical faith is actually a negative one. It's becoming desperate enough to come to Jesus. It's letting go of pride and saying to yourself, finally, I just don't have what it takes. I can't do this. I need help but I need a kind of help that this world can't offer. I need supernatural help. That's the first movement of faith. It's not the last. Circumstances summon faith, but honesty forges faith. Jesus stops and he asks those around him, who touched me? This may seem like a ridiculous question to everyone. He was surrounded by crowds of people. Dozens of them had just been touching him. What made this so special? His disciples even say this in verse 31. Now the woman could have just run away. She was now healed. What was actually keeping her there? But she didn't run. In verse 33, it goes on. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Doesn't tell us exactly what she said, um, but I think it's safe to assume that she had told her whole story to Jesus and those around her, and that is how Mark was able to write these words. Imagine the shock of the people around her to know that this unclean woman had passed by them and potentially even touched them. They were now unclean. How would you respond to that? But Jesus didn't condemn her. 
He doesn't take it back. And verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. This got me. The word daughter might not seem like much to us, but it was a common form of address in Jesus' day. His use of the word reflects a kind of warmth and acceptance that this woman has most likely not heard in a long time. A daughter is a beloved member of a family, an insider rather than an outsider. In this context, the daughter is a healing word. Imagine being Jairus at this time, though. They were on the way out to heal his sick daughter, and they're stopped by all this commotion from a sick woman. It wouldn't have been a five-minute ordeal done and dusted. Surely he was getting agitated and concerned even more as the minutes went by. We pick up his story back in verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Again, I'm not a father, but I can only imagine the despair that Jairus must have felt. His heart must have been broken. They were too late. His daughter was dead. In verse 36, but Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. They continue on to Jairus' house, and Jesus stops the crowd and only continues with Peter, James, and John. After a kerfuffle with the renter crowd outside, Jesus goes inside and takes Jairus' daughter's hand and says, Talitha Koan, which means little girl, get up. In verse 42, the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. One thing I found really cool about the wrap-up of this story as the significance of the time given here. The woman has been bleeding for 12 years, 12 years of nothing but agony and despair. On this day, she was healed. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old, and I assume that she had nothing but 12 years of joy and youth, but she passes away at this young age, only to be brought back to life by Jesus. These stories show Jesus dealing with people of vastly different standing. Jairus is well-to-do and influential, while the woman is financially impoverished and socially outcast. Jesus doesn't favor one over the other. He neither rebukes Jairus for his money and social standing, and he doesn't ignore the woman because of her poverty and marginality. God's love and healing and grace isn't limited by our age or life circumstances. He doesn't restrict it to a certain race or education level. No matter where we are in life, he is ready to accept us. We just need to reach out in faith. Something that stood out to me in both of these stories, they were both in despair. They both had hit rock bottom. They both had faith. But most importantly, they both acted on that faith. They both went to seek out Jesus. Are you doing that today? Are you acting to your faith? One commentary commented on the woman, but here she is, weak and out of options, but just strong enough to come which is all the strength that Jesus requires. How amazing is that? That's all this woman had, and that's all she needed. So many in the crowd that day were just excited about what Jesus might do for others. This woman was desperate for what he could do for her. She didn't treat Jesus like the crowds did. She didn't touch him like they did. She treated him as her only hope. She touched him by faith, and now she has him by faith forever. The woman gave us the first lesson of faith. 
coming in honesty. Jairus' story gives us another layer, sticking through hardship. Jairus could have walked away. He could have turned from Jesus after he heard that his daughter was dead, but he didn't. When Jesus said, don't be afraid, just have faith, Jairus did. He went with Jesus. Faith goes with Jesus no matter how unbelievable it may seem at the moment. That's the kind of faith counted as righteousness, and it's the kind of faith that saves. The Bible tells us to hope in the Lord, and it tells us God has the plans to give us a hope in a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that hope brought on a miracle from the Lord. It wasn't by hope that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and it wasn't with hope that Jesus fed the multitude. All of these acts were done in faith. And don't get me wrong, hope is not weak or useless. God wouldn't tell us to have hope if it was so weak. But we must take notice when we are using hope in place of our faith. There are thousands of believers walking around with their hopes up, but ultimately pouring in zero faith. You have to make sure that you aren't just hopeful. Hope in the Lord. Don't stop having hope. Don't stop having an optimistic attitude, but don't stop checking yourself. Make sure what you have is hope and faith combined. We need hope and faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Biblical faith isn't a leap in the dark. It's not hoping there's something on the other side to catch you. Biblical faith is a complete trust in the trustworthy God who is there and who is not silent. When I was talking with my friends about this topic over the past few days, I asked them if they felt that it was easier to build up their hopes than it was to build up their faith. And most of them said yes. And I'll admit I'm in the same boat. It doesn't need to be like this, though. Can I challenge you today to look at your faith and what you are hoping in? No matter what hardships you're facing right now, what sickness, financial issues, worry, fear, or stress you're faced with, I want to encourage you to take it and surrender it to Christ with faith. Billy rightly pointed out to me the other day that anyone can have a hope and a faith. Most people have at least a hope, with a few admitting they have a faith. Faith isn't always easy. And sometimes it could feel like God just isn't responding to your faith. But there was this one quote that I kept coming across while I was writing this. Apparently it was sung by the enslaved African-Americans of the 19th century. And they sang it, God may not come when you call him, but he'll be there right on time. This is where we as Christians are different. As we continue on in 2021 and all the craziness that's going on around us, I want to remind you that we have an amazing God that we can put our faith in. He is faithful and he will never fail you, no matter what the circumstances may say. Don't be afraid, just have faith. Mm -hmm.